Hi everyone, it's me, MEP, and welcome to Ain't Broke, Don't Fix Me, the podcast, episode six. This one is called Mind Over Matter, and it is a conversation with the wonderful Fisky. Fisky is a spoken word artist and puts on an incredible night called Mind Over Matter, which encourages people to get up and share their stories of mental health and addiction, neurodiversity, grief, and so much more through spoken word and hip-hop. Whether you are a beginner poet or whether you are a seasoned pro, they want to hear from you. They give you a platform to share your story. And that's exactly what I did two years ago. Uh, I was in a particularly dark place and a good friend of mine, Tash Thomas, said to me, you should get down to Mind Over Matter. It would be really good for you you would be so well received, your poems. Uh, up until then, I I was a poet, I was a spoken word artist. I'd made that transition from music to mental health and spoken word in 2016, 2017. But I didn't have the courage to stand up and do that alone until 2018, really. And Tash said, go down to Mind Over Matter, it's incredible. There's a, there's a side project called Poetry Prescribed, which is run by a, a, another spoken word artist called Miss Yankee. Get down there. It, it, you you will be putting your emotions to good use and people would love to hear it. So that's exactly what I did. I went down to Mind Over Matter. I signed up for the open mic night, uh, stupidly on a bank holiday. So I should have thought about that really because I wanted it to be quite a subtle, uh, quiet affair. And it certainly wasn't. It was busy. It was bank holiday. There was over 100 people there. I hadn't invited anyone to come with me. And very nervously and frantically and chaotically, I stood on the stage and performed volume control for the first time. And off the back of that, I got plenty of opportunities and made some really good lifelong friends, I believe, and have mixed in circles and built up my own little spoken word family. And that would not have happened if it wasn't for Fisky and Miss Yankee. So I will be speaking to Miss Yankee, hopefully. I haven't actually asked her, but I can guarantee... Well, I need to get her on this podcast to talk about her story too. But today we're talking to Fisky. He speaks... We do speak about grief. We speak about addiction and how he has managed to transform his unimaginable pain into helping others through spoken word, through hip-hop, and how he uses poetry as a healing tool. This will be an emotional episode, but it's a brilliant one and I really think it could help people. Uh, so yeah, this is my conversation with Fisky. It's called Mind Over Matter and this is episode six of Ain't Broke, Don't Fix Me, the podcast. Play that track. Fisky, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, I'm not bad. It feels really odd because we're speaking via Zoom and actually I feel like I've seen so much of you during lockdown, even though I haven't actually seen you in person. It's mad. I've seen you on all the online things. It's hard, isn't it? Because we've spoken, we're going to get into the fact that you do a lot of work with um, 
mental health and in the field of mental health and spoken word. And there's so much to talk about. And I want to share your story. But how has it been for you during lockdown? What has the lockdown experience been like for you? Um, it's been up and down, to be honest. Um, it started off like sort of all right, because being self-employed and just being isolated for quite a lot of my life anyway, I thought, oh, this is like nothing new. Nothing's really changed. Yeah. But um, sort of the more it got into it and the longer it went on and when I realised that live events are going to be the last thing that can come back. Yeah. Um, even though the government said now that we can do them, I, I don't trust them. So yeah. I'm still not doing them. And yeah, it's been difficult. I fell off the way. I sort of gave up on sobriety um, because, yeah, I'll be spending a lot of time more than usual on my own. And it's, it's, not, it's not good. For your mental health man no it's hard isn't it because there's a lot of overwhelming evidence to prove that the best sort of medicine for addiction is connection and i say you know this has affected everyone globally whether that's emotionally financially everyone's taken a hit in some way and even people who don't normally struggle with mental health problems have suddenly been thrust into a world of anxiety and and uncertainty and i've known you for a couple of years now and i've met you through spoken word and we, what we are going to do a massive deep dive into, into Mind Over Matter in a little while and how amazing it all is. Uh, because, yeah, I, I, came to, I came to the first Mind Over, Matter, Mind Over Matter event on the bank holiday one that you did. And it was one of the first over, open mics yeah. I ever performed. And I was so nervous about doing it because I'd never, I'd, I'd performed before, but only to a few people my poetry and that was the first gig I decided to do I came alone and I arrived and there were so many people there and I remember being so nervous because the place was filling up <laughs> and uh, you had over a hundred people yeah, that was uh, that's the Chester Pier event that's literally the biggest event we've ever done like <laughs> yeah probably wasn't probably wasn't the best place to start because even though I'd done I'd done gigs musically for ages making that crossover to spoken word was was a massive jump because you really are sort of everyone it's you in it it's you and a mic it's you and a mic there's nothing to hide behind and it's for the first time ever i was being really honest and really truthful about my experience with mental health when did that happen for you when were you able to really open up about your own story and think actually i'm i'm comfortable with doing this i don't have to hide um, it was probably when I started Mind Over Matter, when I was 30, 36, I think. So yeah. 2017 is, is when I started it. And up until it's kind of the reason I, I started it, because all throughout my life, all the grief that I, I dealt with, um, it was a lot. And I, I dealt with it because I didn't know that you were allowed to talk. All I knew was you were supposed to fight people or drink or do drugs and just ignore yeah. it. Because you man up, you know, we just that's what we do, isn't it? We're men. Yeah. That's what that's all I knew. And but there was always a part of me that thought this is this isn't right. Like <laughs> why can't I talk about this shit? I want to talk about it. Yeah, and um, I I know you and I know you personally and have heard your story and that grief has played such a such a huge part in your relationship with drugs and alcohol. And and I'm in fact I'm gonna let you tell your story because I know it's important. So when do you want to explain your relationship and the link between grief and, and, and your relationship with addiction? Um, well, it all really started, like I said, there's been a lot of grief in my life. 
yeah. there's been 11 family members and friends that have, have passed away over a period of time yeah but it all it all started really like yeah and that's that's a lot and there's different levels of grief but the more that i've understood it and when i'm sober it's a lot easier to understand that it all really started with my mum losing my mum when i was 16 to cancer mm. and in some fat like families are a weird thing and in some families that might bring people closer together but i watched my dad fall apart he didn't know what to do um and my sister moved away to america quite soon afterwards and sort of people deal with it in different ways my sister's way of dealing with it was like right our mum was was 50 she was a pe teacher she played hockey for england she never she wow. drank wine occasionally she never smoked she was athletic she was like doing cartwheels at 50. Yeah. she gets cancer so my sister was like right well that could happen to anyone then so i'm going to go and see the world my reaction to it was to destroy myself and uh just drink and do drugs because that's all that i was aware of at that point and yeah it was it was hard like the, f the family if I'm completely honest, just, just fell apart. And it was really never the same. Like then my dad passed away, you know, when I was like 30, 31. Um, and between there, there was like seven family members and, and friends. And then a few more after my dad. Um, so it was, it was really like, I, I didn't know. I didn't understand what I was feeling because I was feeling sad. And I thought, well, if I feel that, that must be all right. But, no one understood at that age. Like we were sixteen. Like what are my mates supposed to do? Do you know? They didn't know what to do or say. But at the same time, it's like, well, where does that leave me then? So I was like isolated a lot of the time because that does isolate you. Because a lot of people like it got it got to the point. Even when I was in my twenties and thirties, when people, it was almost like they got bored of it. And I was like, that pissed me off. But then at the same time, it was like. You know, the reactions were, oh, you should be used to it by now. Walk on. You know what? Why can't that, you just be happy? That's so true you say that, Fisky, because I've, I've got a, a couple of close friends whose parents have died recently. And even if we're talking grief on a much smaller level, even if it's a, a breakup or, uh, or someone you've lost who is a distant relative or a distant friend, there's no time measure on grief. And, and I, I always said, someone always said to me, and it stuck with me, that for the first few weeks, people will rally around and be there for you and will reach out and show support. But I, over a certain amount of time, people will just naturally get on with their lives and forget yeah. you, everyone else moves on with their life and you're stuck in that, in that grief. And moving. That, surely that must, it's common for you to fluctuate with grief from denial and rage and depression and addictive behavior. And like you said, self-destruction, like I can really, that really resonates with me. Self-destruction came easier to you, would you say? Yeah, because I just, I didn't, like you said, like people do just forget. And you know, it's like people have got their own shit to deal with as well. That's another thing that, you know, probably at the time I didn't take into account. It was just like, because it got to the point when so many people had passed away. People didn't know, I didn't know what to do. People didn't know what to say. And it was just, it was the only way I can describe it from the age of like 16 to probably 36. It was just chaos. My life was chaos. Mm. Like, um, I, I managed to have relationships and uh, held down a job for 10 years. But it was all under, it was all me being a functioning addict. Do you know what I mean? And none of them relationships lasted. Because no, 
And I it's always just, say as well, awesome. it's so it's I always like explain I wouldn't consider myself an addict in the slightest, but I definitely have those addictive tendencies and those I definitely have like waves of addiction where it, like my my problem has always been alcohol and food. And whenever I have moments of or periods of real depression or low points, that will always be I will turn to the things that I know are bad for me to make me feel temporarily good. When was the moment when you realized this has to stop, even though you are very open about the fact that, you know, you still have periods of dipping in and out of, of every day, you have to make an active choice not to take drugs and alcohol. And that's still very much a journey for you. But when did you decide things have to get better than this? This cannot go on like this. This isn't working for me. It was on the, the 26th of June, <clears throat> 2017, when I started Mind Over Matter. Yeah. Um, that was that was the day, and like it's always been bad, but it's all relative. Like like a night out for me might be complete. Like it it might be you know I'll drink two bottles of vodka, do five grams of coke, and that's nothing. To someone else, that's like oh that's a problem. But that was just like a Monday night for me. Yeah. And but it was really the twenty sixth of June. Uh, I woke. I didn't wake up because I've been asleep for. I've been awake for three days drinking and doing drugs on my own. I was unemployed. Um, I couldn't get another job in the industry that I left because a lot of my background was, was TV advertising. And by the time I left my job, everything was digital and I had no experience. And I went for like 20 interviews and I was drinking and doing drugs. The money was running out. Um, I was behind on rent. I still hadn't dealt with any of the grief since the age of 16. I was angry. Like people were getting annoyed with me because um, I was missing interviews. But I realized that... Uh, at the end of every single interview, right, the question they'd ask was, so, Paul, why do you want this job? And in the back of my mind, I, every, I was like, I don't. I can't think of anything worse than working here. Yeah. And it took, me like, it took me 20 interviews to actually think, oh, hang on, I don't want to do this. And then people, like, friends started to get annoyed with me, like, because they were like, no, keep going, Fisky, you can do it. I was like, I don't want to do it. Like, do you know what I'm saying? I don't want to do this anymore. And I, had, I went to a friend's wedding on a Saturday I've been to AA the week before, which never worked for me. AA's never worked for me. It works for a lot of people, but it just has the opposite effect on me for some reason. And I left that meeting. Within 10 minutes, I had cocaine and alcohol. Mm. And then I went to my friend's wedding on a Saturday of the next week and came home, carried on on my own for like three days. Monday morning, something just snapped and clipped inside me. I was sick of everything. I was sick of everyone. Um, I was sick of myself. And I was just looking in the mirror, just thinking... What, what do you want to do? Because you can't carry on doing this because you're going to die. Because I was sitting there crying and my heart was beating out of my chest. There was blood coming out of my nose. I was like, what the fuck am I doing, man? Like, yeah. imagine, like imagine what your mother would think. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And, and everyone else that ain't here. Like, and I, was, I just remember looking in the mirror and talking to myself like, on the floor. And just, what do you care about? And I was thinking about what advertising, what, how I can get back into that. And I was like, no, I'm literally having a conversation with myself. I was like, no, what do you care about? And all I could think about was spoken words, hip-hop, and mental health. Yeah. And that's, that's really where I made the decision to stay sober. But like I said, I've never done it before. I've never even attempted to get sober. And people didn't believe me when I, when I put it online. I was like, well, I'm sober. My friends didn't believe me because I was always that guy that was drinking and doing drugs. Yeah. And it was really at that point that 
that's the reason I started Mind of a Matter was because AA never worked for me. I couldn't afford to get help. Every time I asked for help throughout these 20 years, I couldn't get it because either I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to go to rehab. I couldn't afford private therapy. Um, I tried it through work one time, but I couldn't get the help I needed because of some technicality of when I started or the financial year. So I was like, you know what, fuck all this shit. I can't be bothered with it. And that's why I wrote so much. Yeah, I think that's a real real part and a real... A real struggle with part of having mental health issues that people don't often talk about that people can't understand, especially if they've never had to deal with that is especially if you're someone like us who desperately at times want the help, but it is just not accessible. And what with all the cuts that have consistently been made to the mental health services, the amount of times that I have spent on waiting lists uh, uh, to go on another waiting list to then finally get seen by someone to then say, oh, you can have therapy in groups of 12 people and it's like two o'clock on a Thursday. Oh, I don't, I'm, I'm not available at that time. I work at two o'clock on a Thursday. Oh, okay, well, we're, we're going to have to leave it then. And that's it. Like, it stops there. And actually, if you're someone who really, yeah. really is desperate to help yourself, that doesn't mean that it's available for you. That's the thing. Like, I, I want to do something with it because I've, I've realised now, and I talk to Miss Yankee about this sometimes, that... Like, there were, there were two questions, right, when you get asked if you've called... I called NHS 111 recently, right, and I didn't want to because of everything that was going on in the world and still is going on in the world. I was like, this is like, is it the right time? Do you know what I mean? They're under a lot of pressure. But I was like, you know what? I've been asking for 23 years. There's no right time. So I called them. Yeah. They went through all these lists. <clears throat> Again, I'll go to GP. Oh, yeah, cool. Went ask me the same questions and there's two questions you get asked guarantees whether you get help or not and one of them is are you hearing voices the other one is do you feel like you'd be better off dead or are you having suicidal thoughts and I refuse to answer those questions on the last thing they sent me a letter and I I left them blank because I feel like unless you're dead you can't help do you know what I mean it's like that question is like when she says to me, are you having suicidal thoughts? I'm like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like, are you asking me whether I've tried to kill myself or whether I plan to kill myself? Mm. Or are you saying like, from the age of 16, regularly, I have thought, oh, this whole being alive thing's a bit hard, isn't it? Like, is it worth it? But I've never attempted to take my own life or hurt myself. But does, what, does that count? Like, for 20 years of thinking that. But then I feel like if you say... Yes, then they're going to come around, take you away, lock you up, and you're still not going to get the help you need. Yeah. Like and from I, people's experiences that I've been told about yeah. recently, you don't still don't get the help. And if you say no, then you don't get the help. So it's that, like, what the fuck do you so do? True. Do you know what I mean? And that's the struggle with the NHS moment like of course there are so many and people's hands are tied because there's so many nurses and doctors and psychotherapists and psychologists that really really want to help but can't and there is like something that has always stuck with me is I did a group therapy session once and they said oh your next session you should find out between eight and twelve weeks about when your next session is going to be and the woman who was with me said to said in the group I will be dead by then. I haven't got eight to 12 weeks to wait. I am telling you, I am desperate now. And I told you I was desperate yep. three weeks 
go and you've put me in a room with 12 other people who I don't know and I'm an anxious person and now I'm expected to share all my deepest darkest thoughts in a room with people that I've never met before if anything this has made me 10 times worse and yeah that is a massive problem that I suppose doesn't really get spoken about enough it doesn't. I, I really want to do something with it. Like me and Miss Yankee have been talking about doing something like maybe documenting it because yeah. just the 20 years alone, I, I can sit here and tell you all the bad experiences I've had. And I've had probably one good experience, which was with anger management. But everything else has just been like you just said. And, and it's hard because I know that some of these doctors do want to help, yeah. um, but they can't. And it's, it's frustrating because well, I get annoyed. We spoke about it in one of the education episodes I did on this podcast because it's exactly the same for teachers get such a bad rep and nine times out of ten the teachers want to help. The teachers are the ones that are desperate yeah. to help the children, especially if they've got special educational needs or disabilities, but their hands are tied. Uh, I'm, I'm going to move on quickly to back to mind over matter because we've got a lot to talk about there. Uh, how, but for, I know what mind over matter is and I know all of the amazing work that you do, but if you were to describe mind over matter, how would you, what is mind over matter to you from the person who's brought it all together in the first place? It was a beautiful accident, mm. to be honest. Um, like I said earlier, like it came from me just wanting to give myself a target to stay sober. So I was literally like, right. I said, I said I was looking in the mirror and I was like, um, I just want to do something with spoken words, hip hop and mental health. So I put on an event, called it Mind Over Matter. And we raised money for Mind. Um, so it's, it's, it's no different really to any other spoken word event, except um, we, we incorporate hip hop, singing. Uh, we used to bring charities and I had to stop doing that um, because yeah. I couldn't afford it anymore. But um, it's no real, really no different to any other spoken word event in the fact that it's a safe space. There's, there's no judgment. It's yeah. an encouraging space, you know what I mean? Like, um, but I don't really like to put a label on it. Like, it's, it's, just, it's just mind over matter. And coming from where it came from, it was such... <clears throat> it's basically my, my heart and soul is, is yeah. what it is. Um, but it's, it's, it's helped and touched so many people and so many people have supported it and we've got a huge team. Um, there's, there's not a lot of money in it, but I'm trying to make it a sustainable business so it, it continues to help other people and continues to help me. But yeah, it's like, it was all a bit, I, I never meant for it to happen. I never meant for it to go past the first event, but the first event was so powerful. And I think part of that was uh, sort of my story. Um, and when I opened up about it and started talking sometimes, and people that knew me knew that I never spoke about this stuff. I just drank and I'll talk about it when I was drunk and stuff, but I never properly spoke. I was never honest with myself about it. And I never took any of the responsibility. It was always someone else's fault. But yeah. I think I remember there was a minute on stage when I, just before I performed at that first event. And I said something like, um, the, the truth is like, I can't remember what it was. The truth is, um, it's not the, it's, it, I'm the problem, you know what I mean? It's, it's me, it's not everyone that's died, it's, not, it's me, the way I deal with things. Mm. Um, and I think sometimes it only takes one person to talk to other people to open up, and I think that helped people. And I remember the first event afterwards, this guy come up to me, skinhead, tattoos everywhere. Mm. I was like, oh, fucking hell, what have I done? And he just come up to me and, and just went, shook my hand and went, thanks, mate, and then just walked off. Yeah. And that's what I love about it is, you know, some people will, will come up to you and tell you why 
that helped them. Some people will just say, thanks, mate. Some people won't say anything. Um, some people will support it from afar, will never come to an event because that stigma is still there for them. Like, oh, no, I can't really go because I'm, I might look out of place or I'm not really ready for it, but I'll, I'll support it from, from home by doing something else. Do you know what I mean? And I think, um, I think it's no, truly, like, for, for me, Mind Over Matt, there's a we have a beautiful spoken word and, and poetry scene in London. If you're, even if you're not a fan of spoken word, the, the collection as a collective and as a family, because it is like a family, everyone who performs spoken word in London, it's a really special community to be a part of. But what sets yeah. Mind Over Matter apart from everyone else is that real, that feeling of feeling safe and your honesty I think is what makes mind over matter as special as it is, because even though you are, you have founded mind over matter, put it out there to the world and are helping other people. You are constantly and consistently honest about your relationship with alcohol and drugs. And you don't say I'm fixed now. I'm perfect. I used to be an addict and now I'm not like, that's not what you do. You say actually every day is a struggle and I'm, I'm telling you about it and I'm hoping that you guys might, might understand and this might help you in the process. And I, and I love that about you and the event. So what is, where would you say you are now, Fisky, in terms of your relationship with drugs and alcohol? Where are you now in your life? Um, nowhere near as bad as it used to be. I'm not sober. Yeah. Um, like my issue is I can't drink without doing drugs. I can't yeah. do it. Like I've tried once it goes past that free drink limit, like it's no, it all goes out the window. Yeah. Um, and that's just, that's, it's hard to change that because that's what, what I've always done. Do you know what I mean? But for me, that's, that's normal is to have some drinks, do a gram and then go home. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not like, it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be, partly because I'm getting old. I can't handle it anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm 40 next year. Like I'm not 21 anymore. I used to be able to drink and do drugs for days on end. I'd be fine. Yeah. It's partly that, partly because, Sometimes, like the first time I fell off the wagon, I was really worried. It was like 18 months in. It was just after we launched Young Minds Matter at the top of City Hall, which was like a highlight. And it came to Christmas. I hadn't made any plans. I hate Christmas. I don't know where to be or what to do. And it was the first time I drank in 18 months and I regretted it. I was on my own for like 10 days. Um, I didn't tell anyone. I went back to work after um, I was working back in media at that point for like six months. And I went back. Didn't tell anyone. Uh, then we went to Australia, me and Miss Yankee, and I didn't say anything about it until uh, I got back. Because I spoke to Miss Yankee, and she was like, "Look, just just don't put a, don't put one of your Facebook posts up, all right? Don't do that yet. Just like <laughs> get back, get back to trying to get back on the wagon and look after yourself. Don't don't worry about everyone else because, like, a lot of people did say that, kind of like you just said, that um, a big part of it is kind of my, my honesty and where it came from and I understand that um, but it did get to the point when I sort of felt like uh, I don't know it's probably more me than anything yeah. and I do love that about mine never matter but it, it got to a point when I, I felt a lot of pressure to stay sober when I didn't particularly want to be sober anymore do you know what I mean yeah and I don't no one like I'd say to people, oh, I'm so sick of this. And they were like, no, no, keep going, keep going. Like, the essence of the event is you being sober. And I think it was that that I didn't like. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's fair because I don't know if I want to be sober forever. Do you know what I mean? Completely sober. 
And it's, it's a lifelong journey. It's something I'm always going to want to go back to because it's familiar. Yeah. It's, I'm not, I understand it. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes, yeah. like, you speak to any addict, and I guarantee you they'll say, like, part of the reason I fucked up, that like, I did it on purpose because I'm not used to things going that well. Like, yeah. I don't feel like I'm in control. Like, who, who, why am I at the top of City Hall? Why am I selling out an event in Australia? Like, I'm not used to things going that well, and I'm not used to people saying to me, well done, you're doing, you're good. Like, that never happened to me before I found a spoken word scene. Mm. So it's a lot of internal battles. And you speak to any addict and they'll, they'll probably tell you the same thing, that they, they fall off the wagon because it's familiar and they, they're not, they don't know how to deal with things going really well. Do you know what I mean? But what? for me, it was like, it was, it was more just, I didn't feel, feel like it was fair yeah. That I was, I had to stay sober when I didn't, because I got sober because I wanted to get sober, but I never agreed to a lifetime of sobriety. I agreed to two months, but then because of what happened with Mind of Matter and the people we worked with, and ev all these things started happening like really quickly, and people wanted me to come and talk at events and at schools and stuff, and I was like, well, I can't fall off the wagon now. And that's how it became my rehab. Literally, it became my AA because I was putting things in front of me that meant I couldn't drink. And that's um, why this has, this has been, and we, me and you speak about this all the time, about writing being therapy and poetry being therapy, but this has been your therapy, hasn't it? Like, literally, yeah. Like, writing is all, writing, even before I put anything out, like, I always wrote from the age of 12 when I had my first poem published, it was called Going to America or something. Like, and I just, I was always good at it. I knew that, I, and I don't mean that to sound arrogant, but I was, I knew that I enjoyed it and I knew I was good with words, but none of my friends, and I don't hold this against anyone, no. but they weren't that supportive. It was always taking the piss, like, oh, this dude wants to be a rapper and all this. And it got to the point where I had to start taking people aside when we was out and saying, look, I've, I ain't fucking about anymore. Like, this is the only thing that I have. You just got to shut the fuck up about it. Because it would yeah. be like in front of strangers, you know what I mean? And it was like, bro, you understand, like... How it much? Was just, yeah, yeah, how much? You can't really get in. I grew up in that environment where it's, it's just piss taking. Do you know what I mean? It is what it is, banter and all that. What but it I got to the point. It was just like this is this is all I've got, man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What are your What are your future plans, Fisky? What do you want to achieve now? Whether that be for mind over matter or for you as a person. Um, do you know what? For me, like I'm kind of shying away from the whole performance thing. Like I don't. Like I said, I'm 40 next year. Like I'll probably, I'll still perform at Mind Over Matter and Flow Vortex. And um, if someone pays me, I'll perform. But yeah. beside that, I just want to really continue building Mind Over Matter and give younger people, and not just younger people, just people in general, the platform that I never had. That's really where I feel like my passion lies. Do you know what I mean? Like I love performing, but it's not, I, I'd rather provide that platform and give people that platform that I never had. So it, it might not be so difficult for them. Do you know what I mean? Well, I always share and, on, online that, that there's that famous quote that says, be the person you needed when you were younger. And I think that that is yeah. exactly what you're doing with Mind Over Matter. I feel, yeah, I feel like that is what I want to do. And like before lockdown, we were expanding. Like I said, we, we sold out an event in Melbourne last year, yeah. which blew my mind. And after that, I came back thinking, I really want to take this further because I saw people, it helped people there. And this is the other side of the world. And it really affected me like in a good way. And people said the same things that someone said that it changed their life because they performed for the first time. And it was a safe environment again. And 
it really sparked an interest for me of taking it further like outside London. So yeah. um, just before lockdown, we were going to do an event in Southampton, in uh, yeah. Manchester. We had all the venues sorted and everything. It was all ready to go. Flyers are out. We're talking about doing one, starting one in Brighton. Um, I've been asked to go to, to Philadelphia, to New York, to Los Angeles, to Saudi Arabia, to Amsterdam, to Incredible. all these different places. But, and that's something I would love to do, but I've never had any funding. I've spent, it's all been my own money. And I've spent over 25 grand on, on Mind Over Matter. And, you know, people will say, but you're losing money. I'm like, yeah, but it's, you don't understand. It's an investment. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And I've had offers of like, I've had people approach me about funding, but it's, it's just never worked out. And I've had people approach me about sponsorship, but nothing ever seems to come of it. And to be honest, that's cool because whatever happens, I'm going to carry on funding it regardless. And um, if, you know, if I can take it to Saudi Arabia and stuff like that, then cool. But it's, it's really just the money that's stopping me doing it all. Yeah. Um, at the moment, and I really don't want to go back into my old career. Because I'm going to say it because I don't want. Uh, I hope I'm hoping I can say it, but yes, you can. Yeah, go on. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> talking about me and well, me and you are going to collaborate on something soon in the future as well with two amazing other people. Um, yes. You want to share a bit of that? I'm so excited about this. Every time I think about it, I'm mean, so excited. Literally, and you know what? In full <laughs> lockdown happened. Yeah. Sorry, what was that? Sorry, say that again. I said it's hard because we were like in full swing and then lockdown happened. Yes. And, and that's what annoyed me a little bit because it was like, it's, it's what I get so excited about this for is because of, I love a musical, right? So I should say what it is. Um, so we're working on Mind Over Matter, the musical, which is yeah. going to incorporate sort of, you know, it's based on my life, but loosely. So, and it's hard to explain at the moment. It's still sort of in the, the working stages and being written but um yeah it's going to be loosely based on my life and and you're involved you've already written a song for it which i listened to and i was like get out of my head amy how do you know what (laughs) (laughs) and that song is amazing and there's two other people are working on it as well and we've got a script writer a choreographer um me i'll be like doing the music side of things obviously you've got your poetry and spoken word and obviously you just your your life helps <laughs> your life remember that meeting we had and <laughs> i was talking and i stopped you everyone was like keep talking this is great just keep talking it was lovely and then we just got loads of ideas but, yeah but the reason i love i get so excited about it because my dad was a musical producer, like you know this, but just for anyone else. Yeah. And it's always musicals have always been a part of my life. And he always tried to get me involved when I was younger, but I was always too shy and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And also, I love how natural it was. Yeah. You know what I mean, it was exactly that, that's how Australia happened. That's how Mind of a Matter started. Was I didn't really try; it just sort of happened. Like I called um, one of the people that was working on it, Tash. Um, I've met her a couple of times in the scene and I think I mentioned it like in passing and then I just called her one more. I woke up, I was, it's one of my manic highs and I woke up and just called her. I was like, I want to do Mind Ever Matter the musical. And she, she went, <gasps> and at that point I knew that it was a good idea. Yeah. And then she got her friend involved and then we were all having a meeting and then we realised that we all knew you. <laughs> That's mad. And then we sent you a selfie saying, and you knew us all, but individually. And then we sent you a selfie saying, 
do you want to get involved in minding that musical? And you were like, yeah, I don't know what's going on here. But yeah. that picture was the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. Three <laughs> different people from three different areas of my life. Some that, people that I haven't seen since I was 16 years old. And then you, who I met like two years ago. And then <laughs> that, it was just mind blowing. But I think yeah. that's why it's going to work so beautifully is the fact that we've all known each other through different stages, through different things. And we all come from some aspect of a mental health background so putting that together is really good it is good it's exciting and you, do you remember the meetings we've had so far there was like two and it's so much got done like and it wasn't it was just flowing and that's that's when i know something's gonna work do you know what i mean like that's why i think manchester's gonna be a success because it's sort of, they came to me yeah. um, with the idea of doing it and you know we, we've tried a few things that, that didn't work and that was kind of when i tried to sort of force it a bit so now it's just like when stuff like this happens I get really excited about it because I feel like it's going to work yeah mm. yeah so yeah keep an eye out for that guys mind over the matter of the musical uh, you can follow Fisky online we're going to share some of his work and uh, you can follow Fisky online where can we follow you Fisky and mind over matter uh, you can follow mind over matter at mind over matter LDN on Instagram and Facebook or yeah. Mind Matter LDN on Twitter, or just go to the website uh, mindovermatterldn.com and everything's there. And you can follow me at Fisky LDN if you want. Excellent, guys. If you if you haven't heard of Mind Over Matter before, or you know someone who suffers with mental health problems, or is a poet, or a rapper, or a musician in some way, get in contact. Got contact with Fisky, or just get yourself down to an event. So amazing. Uh, thank you so much, Fisky. Thank you for having me. As always, great. Thank you. And that was my chat with Fisky. I hope you enjoyed it. He's such a open and honest and really brave guy. I appreciate the sound quality wasn't fantastic for that episode and there were many points where it glitched, but hopefully it wasn't too much of an unenjoyable listen. We are going to finish today with one of Fisky's poems. He is a spoken word artist and a rapper, as well as being a really great guy and inspirational person as well as putting on mind over matter events and things all over the country as well as selling out in melbourne australia uh, so look out for what fisky's got coming up mind over matter ldn and fisky ldn and we're going to finish with fisky's amazing poem about grief and depression as a man in today's society this is fisky man enough I'd rather feel nothing than this sadness. So I reach for a bottle and a gram for a makeshift bandage. But these wounds aren't the kind to be bandaged. Offers of help, an alien language. I know what it is to feel hopeless, but what's left to fear when you face the hopeless? It's crap to have nothing. You want to collapse, feel trapped. Perhaps you plan a relapse, go in circles until a square one you're back. The never-ending story, it's time to quit. I can see where it's going, every sequel shit. No progress, swamped in sadness. Our tax consumed by the nothing. Do we fail or carry on until we're strong enough to carry Falcor on our backs? So, I'm trying out abstinence and finding myself in a lab since. I can't find my way out this labyrinth. I can't escape the things that I've seen in my days. I can't take back the things that I've been. There's no way to replace the decisions and mistakes that I made. It's no movie, can't go back and reenact a scene again. Director's chair empty, there's no actors anywhere to play. Our parts, cameras off, they can't capture all we say. 
There's no script. I wish there was, then I would know what to say. No credits roll, screen fades to black. This fear of happiness is crippling. I'm sitting in hell, the stress is tripling. Delve in the depths of introspection where I dwell. When I'm coming up again for air, there's no way to tell. So I'm left to peruse with this bottle of booze. It's been so long since my life's had any kind of rules. They got flushed, now I've got trust and a whole host of issues. It's no excuse, I know I need to wipe away the blues. I'm spilling my soul and I can't clean it up with tissues. And I'll never ask for help, because I can do it on my own. But now I'm having doubts, because I'm sitting here all alone. Surround myself with isolation. Writing in the beginning was only to escape a hopeless situation. I nurtured it too much and it birthed an abomination. A mad doctor murdered by his very own creation. The reason I write became prison I can't escape from. The reason the mic's a lonely form of aspiration. It's hard to plan a future when you're stuck in the past. The present feels like the past. His moment's moving so fast. I'm drowning in life. Ain't gonna make it to the raft. Start to lose my grass class. My last breath, a gas glass half full. The empty half reminds are too much. Running from depression, but it always seems to catch up. Have a down day, they say. Come on, Fisky, man it up. I've been manning up since 16. Tell me, is that man enough? <laughs>